Live. Without you guys, we would not really have a season on music. Oh. It's the inspiration. Were they catalysts? The pioneers, but also oh, wow. That's maybe sweet. the only ones doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi everyone, welcome to Saturday School. This is our third season, which is on Asian American music movies. And for this episode, we have two special guests. We have the creators of Colma the Musical, Richard Wong and H.P. Mendoza. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So Colma the Musical kind of inspired this entire season, just because Brian and I are huge fans of the movie. I mean, you guys know that I've seen the movie like many, many times, but now it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> this is my third time interviewing you guys about Coma the Musical, and I'm expecting you to give me something that I've never heard before. <laughs> and I think it always held a special place in our hearts because it aligned with when me and Brian had just met each other and we were working on Asia Pacific Art, an Asian American pop culture magazine. It was such a great year for Asian American film in a way that reminded us why we should be doing this work. You interviewed Rich for Colma the Musical, and then Chi interviewed Morris Stevens for Conventioneers, and I think I did an interview for Even the Fire Horse, and it was just such an exciting time to actually be enjoying these movies and not just feeling compelled to cover them because of cultural reasons or political reasons. I think maybe Rich and I might be spoiled because that was, you know, that was like our genesis. Like we, we kind of like went onto the scene like along with even the fire horse and conventioners, which both of us love a lot, you know. And for us, I just kind of feel like, oh, this is this is how it is. This is amazing. This is kind of cool. Now, with that said, we still always refer to the class of 2006. We're like, wow, that was like a stellar year. That was like Journey from the Fall and Punching from the Sun. Some crazy titles that came out that year. Actually, we did a um, best of Asian American film, which was really best of film by Asian American directors but um, it started in 2006 because of that year um, wow. yeah we've been doing it for 10 years <laughs> but for <laughs> people out there who have not seen Coma the Musical maybe you guys can give us a sense of how it started you want me to do are you want to let's see let's see if we have our thing down right <laughs> uh, yeah it's been a long time might be some ad-libbing in here was there a routine not like an actual rehearsed written routine but we just <laughs> had done it so many times at a certain point that we had we essentially had a routine now. right okay give us the routine uh, and away here we go. <laughs> so HP and I, we met at film school, and one of the number one things that we always bonded on was um, musicals. So we always had kind of jokingly, only half-jokingly, said if we ever made a movie together, it'd be a musical. And then we kind of lost touch for a little while. And then one day, I ran into his, his good friend Christian Cadigal at uh, Little Shop of Horrors. We talked for a while, and he had mentioned, oh, HP moved to Philly, huh? Oh, no way. And she'd email. <laughs> you know, we should, like, get back in touch. You know, we're just talking about what we were doing. And he's like, oh, I, I wrote this kind of concept album called Coma the Musical. It was his birthday gift for an actor in musical theater, you know, that was kind of based on us, like, living in Colma. So when I heard the CD, and I was kind of just like, whoa, dude, this would, like, this would be, like, an amazing movie. So I was like, hey, man, like, like how long do you think we'd write, like, a movie script out of this? And I told him a week. And then, sure enough, on the seventh day, like, boom, there was a script. And, you know, honestly, that script is quite close to what we actually shot. Next thing you know, we're making plans, you know, like... And everything's through email, by the way. I hadn't seen Rich in, I don't know how many years at this point. It was like, what, over 10 years. And one of the things that was going through our heads and through our email threads was, okay, so we have to worry about casting. And I'll never forget, like, when I finally landed in, was it Oakland, Rich, where you picked me up? I think it was San Francisco. Was it? I, I remember Rich kind of stared at me for a little bit. 
And I was like, uh-oh, what is it? Do I have, like, a zit? Mm-hmm. And I remember Rick, you're like, hmm, yeah, you know, with some makeup, you, you, you could play Riddell. <laughs> and I remember at that point, I was just like, I think I'm too old. But, yeah, uh, we just kind of moved quickly from there. I got the job. Yeah? You got the job? You got it? So Colma the Musical, as the title suggests, is a musical about the city of Colma, which most people who are from the Bay Area would not think of as an appropriate city to make a musical around. It's known for its cemeteries and suburban sprawl. And in this city are three friends, Billy, Rodell, and Maribel. They're graduating from high school. Billy wants to become a, a musical star. Rodell is struggling with coming out to his dad. And Maribel just kind of wants to have some fun. They just graduated. Her friends are so serious and she just wants them to loosen up and party a little. And it's about how it all kind of explodes. So back when you guys were in film school together, what were the musicals that you loved? I think the number one musical we bonded over was West Side Story. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, and we even feel like there's... Um some fun West Side Story uh, homages in Coma even. <laughs> Can you elaborate on that? So there's a scene the first time we see the lovers meet. They meet for the first time in the, in the split screen sequence. And I was like, oh, man, the dialogue should probably try to mirror uh, the dialogue when Maria and Tony meet. Because when Maria and Tony meet, there's this whole exchange of my hands are cold. My hands are cold. Yours, too. Yours, too. It was a sort of, like, really kind of protracted, like, no you, no you, no you. And it's, it's really sweet in the moment, right? But when you take it out of context, there's something really kind of funny about it. So, of course, I wanted to have this moment. Like, he's, all he's trying to do is use the bathroom. Is there someone in there? I'm taking a shit. Or perhaps you feel it. Shot it straight to <laughs> You're sweating. So are you. You have paint on your face. So do you. No, I don't. Oh. <laughs> that was one of many like tiny little homages to West Side Story in the movie. I, th- I actually think Colma is full of homages to like movies in general. Yeah, it is. Colma is kind of like the regional theater movie version of, like, of of those movies, like, you know, homages of those. Another thing about that particular scene where the two lovers meet is like, you know, visually, we put all these colored lights in the background, which I don't know if you guys, if you guys remember that scene from West Side Story, like it, it goes into this kind of like surrealistic just like, you know, blinking colored lights in the background, you know, like all kind of defocuses in a kind of like an interesting theatrical artificial way, which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. So, you know, our, our version of that was, you know, put a bunch of Christmas lights in the back. <laughs> it was definitely uh, trying our best to tip our hat to them. Well, one of the things that makes Coma so charming is that it seems like in the translation of the musical from this lavish genre to an indie film, you have to let your imagination run wild uh, in ways that we haven't, we don't often see from the musical. Was that a challenge that you were very conscious of? That the fact that you you were making a musical on an indie budget? I don't know. Um... This question is really similar to another question we get often, and that is why a musical for an indie, right? And I feel like um, as far as like how wild and how creative you have to get with making a musical, I feel like when you're making an independent film, you're constantly thinking of ways to be wildly creative anyway, because you know, in this sea of total noise, how is your independent film going to be seen, right? So I think both Rich and I agree that it's like, well, it's not enough just to be a musical, you know, like we actually, you know we're not being that ironic, believe it or not. You know, I think a lot of people were like, oh, okay, so yeah, it's a musical. Are you going to make fun of musicals? Not at all. 
you know? We're probably making fun of Colma more than we are making fun of musicals. And I feel like at that point, it's like, I think Rich and I have such a love for musicals that we're like, no, let's not find, like, cool, cheap, and inexpensive ways to make fun because, of course, it's, 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 it's a, that's a great way to get a laugh, right? Let's just find really kind of resourceful and efficient ways to actually make something look good, you know? And I think that as far as independent filmmaking goes, that's the only way you can do it. I actually remember, because, you know, just interviewing Rich for the very first time, probably back in 2006, I feel like I had a lot of questions that Brian is asking now were, what about the challenges of this, challenge of this, like, thinking that it would be really difficult, and I feel like Rich just answered all of them like, oh, no, it wasn't that hard. Oh, no, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. I don't know, that's the impression I remember. It may be a simple answer, but I think it's actually a decent one, because I think it points out exactly how much we just don't think of that as an extra challenge, you know? Like, making a movie is a challenge. Making any piece of media is a challenge. If you make a piece of horror, you're going to be sitting there thinking, like, okay, how are we going to do this blood work? How are we going to make this creature look real? How are we going to make sure this is scary? Or if you're doing a like, romantic comedy, there's the challenge of like making sure that both people are likable, make sure that you have the, the audience rooting for them to fall in love by the end, or break up, whatever. Um, I kind of feel like we just saw like this even plateau of difficulty when it comes to like whether it's like creature gags and blood work and like action scenes and car chases and musical numbers. In the end, they're all just things that you have to stage in order for you to shoot them. I guess the other side of that is like, why not a musical? Like, why, why do you guys think this doesn't happen more often? I just think people don't like musicals anymore. Really? It just became very uncool at some point. Do you think it'll happen again because of La La Land? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Edit out my oh, God. <laughs> Actually, Ada and I had a conversation last night about, about La La Land versus Colma. You know what Brian said? It's not even a La La Land thing. It goes bigger than La La Land. Brian cannot think of an American musical since Colma the Musical that has better, been better than Colma the Musical. Period. Oh, wow. Oh, that's... And I was like, okay, I love Coma, but I was like, really? None? And then we went through the list, uh-huh. and then he like shot them all down. He's like, no, Coma's better. Oh, right. You've never seen Glitter. <laughs> 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 and yeah, we got to La La Land, and what did you say, Brian? Um, <laughs> like, La La Land, has, uh, to me, is no imagination. It's, it's uh, regurgitation, and... It's, like a, it's a quaint one that makes you smile, and I don't know. I feel like I've seen that before. But everyone's talking about it as if it's some kind of bold statement or something. I agree. I, I have to say, I, I'm really angry at La La Land I have to, because La La Land takes so much from a bold classic musical from the 60s that a lot of people haven't seen. It's one of my favorite movies, and it's a bold musical with a really bold ending, you know? I mean, La La Land literally did the exact same story and the exact same ending, and I was like, well... I can see why people think it's bold because they think it's never been done before, but it was done exactly like this in 1964 in this other Technicolor musical, you know? I have all kinds of issues with La La Land, too. <laughs> but it, it, we don't want to turn this into a thing. About right, right, yeah. Anyway. yeah. <laughs> but I, I will say this one thing, though. Um, for those people out there who think that the opening sequence of La La Land is such a masterpiece of like like song and dance on a highway on top of cars, I challenge you to watch Step Up 4. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> You're totally right. You're totally right. It has way more life than the than the song in La La Land. Okay, we'll stop now. Sorry, <laughs> I can't even understand the words. Like the mix is, I, 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 it's just too cool for school. It's like I'm not really singing. I'm just gonna sing like this. But anyway, <laughs> I'd love to talk about the craft of doing a musical, um, especially since I assume that none of you had done long form musical films before. For instance, going between fantasy and and quote unquote real. 
Rich and I have never really thought of musical numbers as fantasy. To us, there is no such thing as fantasy in real. Like, the whole thing is the same. I actually think it's kind of insulting whenever you see a movie and, like, you know, you're getting engrossed in the story and then they have to go into some dream sequence to show you that they're singing. It's almost as if they have to, like, let the audience know, hey, by the way, this isn't going to last for too long. It's just a fantasy. And I feel like, no, that's not how musicals used to be. Now, by the way, it's not like I'm some purist that says that musicals have to be a certain way. I mean, for example, Cabaret always goes into a fantasy land whenever they go into a musical number. And I love that movie. Um, but then you have the other side of that where you have a movie like Rent, where in order for them to actually have a big musical number, they have to have this guy get knocked out and he's, had, he's like hallucinating. And I'm like, well, why do you feel the need to do that? The, the musical form is just another way of telling a story. For Colma, I was very much like, well, why don't we just have like a teen like angst film and they just happen to sing in it, you know? I think the best musicals actually just say, no, look, we're not going to apologize for it. These characters sing. These are the main Colma residents For this is the true population now Graveyards and tombstones to dot the hills There's more of them dead than alive in town There are so many memorable musical numbers. I'm wondering if you guys can talk about any that stick out to you in particular in Coleman. Well, one number that sticks out to me really is uh, Crash the Party. They're going to college party, they're crashing in, they're trying to, like, fit in. She's kind of just the optimistic, you know, teenager who wants to go and be extroverted. She wants to go and have a good time. The two guys are, like, slightly introverted, and they're like, oh, you're dragging us to this party. And the song is basically the complaints from the two guys, but they're always countered by the chorus. She always comes back, well, whatever, we'll crash the party, we'll have fun. And no one knows how young we are, we're all on the same page. No one knows how young we are, that we are underage. Come on, let's do a shot. None for me, more for us. And I thought, you know, oh, well, one way to make us really feel like we're part of the party is to like, like I wanted to feel like we were basically like one of the friends walking with them, you know? And I think, you know, the idea to do it as a one or I mean, who doesn't like a wonder, right? Who doesn't like a good wonder anyway? I just thought it'd be, you know, to feel Tell like... people who don't know what a wonder is, what a wonder is. <laughs> oh, well, you know, uh, just one long take, no cuts. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so it's one, of those, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, dude, what if we did this as a wonder? It's like, oh, well, what if we did this as a as a wonder, like a double wonder where we take the last part of the previous song <laughs> and connect it? And then, well, what if we then, what if we split screen and do an, another one or in a split screen? <laughs> you know, and it's one of those things that's kind of like, we were so free to be creative. Um, we just were able to do stuff. Like, I feel like, I feel like it's hard to do that. Like in, in my work now, it's, it's a little harder to do that. I feel like it's hard to just be so free. And it's like, yeah, we're just going to do that. That's cool. It's like, it's such an ambitious shot and it's such an ambitious kind of setup that it's like, there is something about that movie that I feel like, you know, Crash the Party really the scene that exemplifies that creative freedom we had on that movie. And just the ability to just be like, go one idea on top of the other and then 
you know, be able to execute it. So I look at it now, I was like, I cannot believe we executed that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, I, I did a one on this last movie that was like three, three and a half minutes. And that felt like, it's, it's like, man, the Crafting Party is like an eight minute one Yeah. Um, that's nuts. I don't think I've come even remotely close to that since. So anyway, I look at it and I was like, wow, man. I look at that kind of in awe. Like, I'm able to step back from the movie now. I'm like, damn, Hoover did that. That was pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm in awe of it myself. I gotta get to talk to those guys. That's how I felt <laughs> when I saw it. You know what's funny? If you go back to my original review of it, I said something like, it just feels like your friends are making a movie, but your friends just happen to be like super duper talented. <laughs> and then like, that was when I didn't know you guys. And now I know you guys a little bit better. And I'm like, yeah, yeah they're like friends that make movies that happen to be super duper talented. <laughs> it's still the same thing that I first wrote in the very beginning. Yeah. Is there a number that stands out to you, HP? On a technical level, I'm going to agree with Rich, Crash the Party, because it was that was a feat. A musical number that stands out to me besides that would probably have to be Colma Staves. The first one, the opening number? The very first song, yeah. That opening number just kind of explodes, <laughs> you know? It starts off really slow, and you have these shots of San Francisco leading up to Colma, and, and right when Colma disappears, it's like, boom! New York just cleaned up Times Square. You have this driving beat, and I've always liked movies that just kind of put it to say, these are the people, this is the place, let's start. And, you know, truth be told, in the original concept album, I think the song itself, Columbus Days, was maybe like, um, maybe 15% slower, you know? It sounded a little more like a Ben Fold song. It's the same song, but it's just a little bit slower. Um, but once you speed it up that much, it's interesting. I think Rich, like, at that point was like, okay, well, what do we do to match this? That whole opening... Dennis Harvey from Variety said something that, that like really stuck with me. I want I have to quote him because I don't want to sound conceited about our movie, but he said something like, "Once the movie opens, it feels like Christmas Day," <laughs> you know. And I thought that was such a cool thing to say because I mean I feel like whenever Rich and I would watch it, we've watched every screening in the film festivals, and every time that that hit is like, "Wow, we did that. This is like a gift to ourselves." <laughs> and and that's, a weird, that's a weird thing to say, but it's like, "Wow, we're, this is this is so pleasing. This is so exciting and exhilarating. This is a great way to open a movie." So I feel like. Sorry that I have to resort to like maybe critiquing other things out there, but I feel like uh, when you go to a musical, that first musical number better get you. Yeah. You know? I think that's why Rich and I agree. It's like it's kind of a shame whenever you watch a musical and it doesn't open with a musical number. You know, I know that there, there, there was a time when oh, oh Ada, you did a piece on this. Do you remember when I had to go up on that, that panel with all those like famous musical people, and then there was me, and like a lot of them were saying like, well, no, you have to ease people into a musical. You have to kind of trick them. You know, like you want to just kind of start off. Maybe people think it's a basketball movie, and then like you kind of ease them in with a the fantasy sequence. And then, Morons. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of feel, well, then that's not the right way to go. I kind of feel like, you know, you should just open up with a bang. This is a musical. Get over it. It's no different than any film language. You know, like people are ready to, you know, suspend disbelief. Like, oh, we're in space. Oh, we're like, you know, there's aliens and stuff like that. You know, God. Right. Just but like, you know, uh, <laughs> they're, willing, they're willing to suspend their disbelief. You just have to set it up. As long, whatever you set up, they'll they'll like, OK, that's that's what it is. So like. So I, you know, a musical is no different than that, than aliens or anything like that. If it comes out of nowhere, people don't like that. They're like, they start to laugh, you know. So yeah, yeah. I think you just go all in. I guess I just want to go back to that line that you quoted about how it, f- it feels like Christmas Day, and I'll just sort of compliment you guys more. But it, I think it does. I, the last time I interviewed you guys about it um, for the 10th anniversary of Coma, I remember we had a conversation where um, I was just talking about how like. 
happy it made me. But when we started talking more, it was like, actually, there's like, you know, very serious things in the film that are not happy at all. But I think it's just sort of like because there's so many like imaginative things going on that are really original. Even though there's moments that are really like gut wrenching, you know, and not funny at all. Like it just makes me smile just thinking about the music, even if it's a really depressing song, because I think of like how you guys shot it. And I'm like, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> so there's a through line in our season, which is that there are three Asian American musicals, if you could fruit fly as well. And we start with Flower Drum Song. And I'm wondering, since we're talking a lot about 1960s musicals, do you remember the first time you watched Flower Drum Song and the uh. context in which you watched it and, and <laughs> any reactions to it? So a lot of people always say, like, you love musicals. You must be a huge Rodgers and Hammerstein fan. And I'm always like, well, I mean, I'm actually not, like, the biggest fan. And believe it or not, I just saw The Sound of Music, like, this year. What? What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was, like, the yeah. movie I watched over and over and over again when I was a kid. And I have to admit, I was like, wow, I stayed away from this. And now that I'm watching it <laughs> as an adult. This is actually pretty good. Um, oh, good. So, so, so with that said, I will say that, like, you know, what I did grow up seeing a lot of, like, on TV with, like, the Rodgers and Hammerstein movies, it's kind of like, eh, I can take it or leave it. But Flower Drum Song, of course, was kind of different. I'm like, no, I have to watch this. How could I not, you know? I mean, I'm in San Francisco, you know, and hear Asian people singing on, yeah. you know, so I had to watch it. And I think I didn't really have any issues with it because I was a child, you know? And I think at the time, I was just happy if anyone looked, looked remotely like me on screen, you know? If anything felt like it was representing me in any way, I gave it a free pass in any way. Yeah. Even with the Chop Suey song, I'm just like, yeah, well, sure, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like Chop Suey? And, um, and whenever like I would, certain things would hit me like, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if that's that cool or I don't know if that's right. I would just quickly push it away by saying, well, but this is, this is the 60s. Things were different then. Now watching it, I feel a little different. What is up with that faux Asian font? <laughs> you know, but like, so, you know, I can, I can overly politicize it and I can get all woke about it. But the truth is, I still have my childhood association with it. I'm just like, oh, Nancy Kwan, you're amazing. James Shigeta, you're fucking hot. Um, let's face it. That was the same year that West Side Story came out. And West Side Story is one of my favorite musicals. I know that West Side Story is about race relations. And it's, it's Stephen Sondheim and Bernstein, who I'm huge fans. of. I think Stephen Sondheim's my favorite musical uh, lyricist, musical creator. But West Side Story is problematic, too, right? And this is the same year as Flower Drum Songs. I actually kind of feel like I, if I'm going to give a pass to West Side Story, I should also give a pass to Flower Drum Song. So it's interesting we're talking about at what point do we give it a pass? So you mentioned, one, that it's in the 1960s, so the context is a little different. And second, that it's awesome that you're seeing Asians on screen at all. So we should kind of give it a extra points for that. But also, how much of it is the fact that they're singing? Like, it's Asian people singing. Yeah. Honestly, for me, it's like, they're singing. That means they're legit. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, they're stars. You know what I mean? Because like, for me, like, growing up, like, the big movies were Wizard of Oz, uh, Mary Poppins. So musicals kind of, like, shaped how I saw what stardom was. You know, Julie Andrews was the big star um, on a much gayer level. <laughs> Barbara Streisand was also, like, a big star. You know, it's like, you know, there, there was Yentl and, and Hello, Dolly. Um so when you see Flower Drum Song and you see them like, you know, they're up there, they perform, they're not just singing, they're singing well. And they're not just singing well, they're also dancing and they're huge musical numbers. It just feels legit, you know? And so Flower Drum Song stood out to me as, you know, that Asian movie. And I kind of held it with a little bit of pride, you know? I would talk about it at school. Meanwhile, no one knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and, and that's why I think we talk about H.P. Mendoza and L.A. Renegan as our standard for, for stars. And that's why we talk about Call Me the Musical at Saturday School. 
Since Como the Musical, the two of them have collaborated together on the musical Fruit Fly, directed by HP and shot by Richard, which we covered in season one of Saturday School, as well as Yes, We're Open, a sex comedy directed by Richard and written by HP. Also, Richard was a cinematographer on a couple of recent Netflix films, To the Bone, starring Lily Collins and Keanu Reeves, and Girlfriend's Day, starring Bob Odenkirk. And HP is currently shooting his new movie, Bitter Melon, which co-stars Ellie Renegan. It's not a musical. It's a home-for-the-holidays dark comedy where a Filipino-American family plots to kill an abusive member. But check out their Kickstarter. If they get to their stretch goal, they'll shoot a musical number. So you have until September 27th to support. One day I'll find my happy place And I'll forget that I was ever in a world that fell apart Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter you can sign up for to get lecture notes. TinyLetter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sex School. One step at a time, I find to the highest point I Next week, you have two assignments. Watch the 1989 documentary Forbidden City USA by Arthur Dong and the 2008 documentary Long Story Short by Christine Choi about the actress Jodie Long's parents. Both are about the San Francisco Chinatown nightclub scene in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Class dismissed. This episode of Saturday School is dedicated to Cynthia Kashiwagi, who dedicated the last four years of her life to creating a community of audiences, students, and sponsors around Asian American cinema. We'll miss her dearly. See you next week.